Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes a live stream podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Saturday. Um, today, we've got on the show an LA native who graduated from NYU's prestigious Tisch School of the Arts film and TV program. She has also studied improv at the Second City Conservatory in Hollywood, produced a web series, Our Little Girl, and placed in the Austin Film Festival script competition with her pilot, San Mar. Most recently, she was the writer's, writer's assistant on the upcoming Disney Plus series, Just Beyond, and is a reader for numerous screenplay competitions. Welcome to the show, Allison Golub. Thank you for coming on, Allison. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really, uh, really flattered you asked me to do this. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool because uh, I think we've had a lot of lit reps and a lot of showrunners and, and different level writers of all kinds, and that's all great because I think that um, our listeners and viewers can draw something from all of these different uh, sources. But I do think a lot of, of our audience is, are, I should say, people who, yeah. writers who are sort of in that phase of they're entering screenplay competitions mm-hmm. or they're looking for that uh, assistant job, that support staff job that uh, they don't know how to find it. Like we did a poll, which let me bring it up real quickly, uh, yeah. on... Uh, writers uh, assistant jobs and the options were I asked how would you work as a TV writer's assistant Uh, Mm -hmm. 44% said yes but I never hear about these job openings which is common Mm -hmm. Uh, 13% said yes but I'm not sure if I have the required skills or expertise which we'll talk about Uh, 19% said maybe if the right situation were offered to me uh, which doesn't tend to happen Uh, 19% (laughs) said no it's writer or bust meaning that they're just looking to write, which is a valid path, but I think you're limiting one of your options there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 6% said, what is a TV writer's assistant? What do they do? Which also we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think is great. And also, I think it's super interesting and helpful that you uh, are a reader for various mm-hmm. screenplay competitions, which I found interesting. And you wrote a couple threads on both of these, which caught my attention. Yes. I'm like, oh, I have to talk to Allison. I have to bring her on the show. Mm-hmm. Um but the the question for that one was, how high have you placed in a screenplay competition? 16% said they won. Uh, oh, wow. 21% said finalist. 32% said semifinalist. 16% I've never placed. And 16% said they had never entered a screenplay competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll get into that as well on uh, some of the pitfalls that writers can fall into uh, when in, you know in their screenplays and, and maybe part of the reason they're not placing higher. Um, and again... Some screenplay competitions are worth their weight in gold, the Nichols and Austins of the world, and some are not, which, you know, uh, you might want to save your, your time and money on. Yeah. Um, but before we get started, I did want to say to those in the live stream, if you have questions, uh, feel free to drop them in. We'll get to them as soon as we can. But, Allison, let's talk about yes. your background. You went to film school at NYU. You've produced a web series. Mm-hmm. You've got, you're from L.A., which is interesting. I'm also from L.A. It's rare oh, to nice. find somebody who's from L.A. working in L.A., you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yes. And you went to NYU. I went to USC film school, so huh. uh, I stayed home even. Uh, yes, so that's in my background. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So, but I'd love to hear your background, what you studied, what you, you would mention your grandmother wanting to be a, a, a lawyer. Uh, wanting you to be a lawyer and yes. that kind of stuff. So how did you end up where you're at? I, I've i always wanted to work in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, when I was eight years old, I just decided that that was what I was going to do. It's like the only 
career path I've ever seriously considered, uh, for better or for worse. Um, and I, of course, went through, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be a TV writer right away. Um, I first wanted to be like a film director, like I always would say, like, I want to be the next Steven Spielberg, which is funny because I don't think at eight years old I had like seen a Steven Spielberg movie. I think <laughs> you just heard his name. Director. Yeah. I just heard his name. I was like, oh, I'm going to be that guy. That's a director everyone knows. Um, yeah. And then being from LA, I, of course, went through the uh, whole, I want to be a child actor uh, phase in middle school that I think a lot of kids probably go through in my generation. Um, luckily for me, my parents worked full time, hmm. could not take me on auditions. So that, uh, not that, not that I would have been like famous, but I don't even think I could have like handled being a child actor well. Um, and then when I was like 13, 14 years old, um, I discovered Tina Fey and 30 Rock. And that was like the first time Amazing. I was like, oh, like, cause I had always been writing. Like, hmm. I remember I went to like, my temple did like a writing conference for kids. I like wrote a novel when I was uh, in eighth grade, but I had never really known that like, I didn't know woman TV writers. Like mm. I'd never, I didn't know any of them until Tina Fey came along. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to make my own stories and like be the boss. <laughs> and yeah. So since I was, since I was 14, I've been on this path of trying to become a, a TV writer. Um, I'd always want to go to film school. I literally only applied to film schools and luckily I got into NYU. Um, so off to NYU I went. Um, I studied just, I was in the general film and television program um, because I was like, well, I want to explore everything. And then I basically just spent a lot of money to learn. No, you do want to be a TV writer. That's exactly what you want to do. You're not interested in camera. Um, yeah. So did uh, my time at NYU and then I ended up coming back to Los Angeles for a couple different reasons one because unless you want to do late night this is still the best place to be for tv writing um two because I can live here for free and like New York because I'm from Los Angeles mm -hmm. and I can live with my mother um and three because I was just really tired of winter oh I was sick of it I was like I gotta go back um so yeah and that's just how I ended up back in Los Angeles now now that you're back in LA, you're working mm -hmm. and you're doing various things in the industry, whether it's as a writer's assistant or reading and that kind of thing. Do you find that your background at film school, whether it's the what you learn, because even if you don't want to work in camera, I found it's good to be able to speak the language and understand yes, yes, yeah. the entire process as opposed to just learning writing. You understand the production process from pre-production, you know, production, post-production, you understand that whole process at least. Yes. As well as, I know NYU, like USC, like AFI, like UCLA, have huge uh, alumni bases within the industry. Did you find yeah. that either of those two things have helped you along so far in, in, in your career? Um, more so, I mean, alumni network has helped more, like, like, I have friends who are all pursuing the same career as me. So it's nice to have, like, you know, friends who are going through this mm -hmm. with me. Um that's more how NYU Alumni's Network has helped me. But uh, specifically, yeah, learning the whole process has been immensely helpful. Learning the language of film, you know, learning mise-en-scene, all that stuff. Like, it does it does help. Um, and the great thing about NYU, I don't know if USC was like this, but NYU, they let you be hands-on from the first day of freshman year mm -hmm. in undergrad. Like, I know there are a lot of film schools out there where, like, you don't even get to touch camera until right. your junior year. 
And NYU was, was not like that at all. They right. like immediately threw you in the deep end. They're like, go make stuff, go. And right. like, that's immensely helpful because you got a lot, you got to make a lot of bad stuff before right. you can start making the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. USC is similar, except we always envied you guys at NYU because we, you know, I knew some people that went to NYU. Yeah. Uh, film school and you guys got a camera right away started shooting mm -hmm. and we did two sort of with the with the uh with the disclaimer that i think we were more production management oriented as well like before you shot a lot of stuff you had to go through production management courses mm, like you had to okay. develop a production notebook you had to get your location permits turned in you had to get your call sheets designed you mm. had to do all of these things and turn them in before you really started shooting and you had to be yeah. reviewed by one of the production management you know instructors to say okay now you're ready to go shoot whereas we had heard that nyu guys you just grabbed your cameras went out and shot and had a great time and we're like oh that's why they're so good at what they do and we're like we're we're more organized Probably, but they have a lot more material shot yeah. and a lot more run and gun um, kind of stuff. I will say that when you get to more advanced levels, mm -hmm. they do. Like I, um, when I did the web series that I produced, like I, I don't know why, but I fully put it on myself. I was told, like I had to do all the stuff you just listed with permits mm -hmm. and the production books and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, at the beginning levels, they're like, no, it's fine. You can shoot in Central Park without a permit. Who cares? Like. <laughs> And it was fine. Like, we never yeah. got in trouble. And, like, I think it's also because, like, in freshman and sophomore year, you're um, working with, like, a, a very small amount of crew. Like, mm. we were in, like, a group of four sophomore year. There's only four of us. Oh, right. Stuff. Like, so no one's going to, like, be like, oh, what are those four people doing with the camera? They're making a legal movie. Like, no one, no one's going to care. Right. Whereas, like, when you get, when you're working on advanced projects, then, like, yeah, like, you have a real crew, you have lights, you have, like, that's when it, you got to actually, like. Have the proper paperwork. <laughs> right, right. Um, now, I there's multiple branches of where I kind of wanted to head this conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of which is as a screenplay competition reader. I don't know if you can disclose who you read for, but I know it's a few different companies. Uh, competitions. Yeah. And I don't then, think I can say. Yeah, no, and then the other, the other one is as a writer's assistant, so questions about the writer's room and, and breaking in as a writer's assistant, mm -hmm. the training you went through, because I know you did go through some of the training processes yes. and, and stuff like that, so what's required. Uh, and, as well as if people have questions on web series, because you produced a web series. I don't know if that's yes. of interest to the audience, although I think some people probably would find that helpful um and because i do think that's a valid way to because we've heard it from showrunners i mean shoot something and if it's truly outstanding then that's it will attract attention you know what i mean yeah. um it's hard to do that nowadays because there's so many web series and and uh, but if you yeah. do it right and it get you're able to get attention then and make something really outstanding then you can um i i, I wasn't sure which to go with first but uh, Winnie M says, excited to hear about being a writer's assistant. So I guess Winnie okay. will guide us in that direction first. Um, Farzin Farzam says, hi, Kevin and Allison. Hello, Farzin. Welcome. Uh, Ash Laser, hello, Kevin and Allison. Thank you for both for the super stoked for the discussion. Well, it's always good to have you, Ash. So let's start off with writer's assistant. Mm -hmm. um, from the very beginning, for those who may or may not know what that is, yeah. what is... What does a writer's TV writer's assistant do? Because it's very different than a writer's PA, than a showrunner's assistant. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, so, coordinator. Right, all those other support jobs. But I think people in their head think writer's assistant, assistant, entry-level job. It's like being a PA. 
but it's not. You're in the writer's yeah. room. There is a writer's PA oftentimes, but mm-hmm. they're separate. So tell us, what is a writer's assistant and what do you do in the writer's room? Yeah, so the main um, the main task of a writer's assistant is just to take the notes in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to vary by showrunner. Like, my, I was very lucky. My showrunner, like, bullet points. So it made my life very easy. But I do know people who are in rooms where their showrunner basically wants them to be a court stenographer and you really have to capture every single word that gets uttered. But, and it's more than just taking notes too, though. Like, I don't want to, um, you got to really know, like, what is actually worthwhile for them to have. Like, the goal is that someone who was not in that room that day, for whatever reason, could read the notes back and know exactly where the room landed, where the room wants to go, all that kind of stuff. So it's really just about like keeping a record and mm-hmm. keeping things organized and basically being the guidebook for the show is what your notes should be. Um, so it's just very important that obviously that you're paying attention and getting anything down, but also knowing what's worth keeping in and what's not like, yes, there are showrunners who are going to want a court stenographer, but it's probably not helpful to have in the tangent that where they went off on like their favorite eighties movie. Like that's, unless it's like directly related to the show, like you can probably not take notes on that. Right. What we're having for lunch. Right. There's a lot of um, side chatter in a room. People go off and that's part of the fun and part of the creative process. But so it's just, yeah, you really got to know like what, is worthwhile to keep in how to edit how to organize um you know i always would keep things in like different uh under different subheadings like if what's the example if you were on a show like Veep and they were talking about jonah's art then you would keep all the jonah art notes in like one section mm. of the notes and then they talk about selena so then you want to keep all the selena stuff in one section you don't want to like make it confusing have them jumping around like that's just uh so it's really like it's not an entry level job. Like you really have to know and uh you just gotta know what's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I've said that like three times. I'm sorry. But No, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I mean writers PA should be an entry level job, but just the way how gatekeeping this industry is, it often isn't. Um, but yeah, the difference is that a writer's PA is more the person who's getting coffees and lunches and just managing the uh, managing the office, making copies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's also a very competitive position, especially right now because rooms aren't really in person. Right. Um, script coordinator is more the person who is in charge of the script itself and that like, you know, drafts, formatting, proofreading. There's also a whole paperwork side of it that I'm not familiar with at all because mm-hmm. um, I've never been in a room that was also, the show was also in production, but there's also tons of paperwork involved. Um, yeah, and then a showrunner assistant is the um, direct assistant to the showrunner, um, and they basically, I mean, that's going to be a different job for everyone because every showrunner is different. Mm-hmm. And that's true of the room, too. Every room is different because it's run by different people. Like, every again, every showrunner likes different things. Right, right. Yeah. Now, in terms of taking notes, while we don't necessarily encourage or discourage anyone from spending money on courses they may or may not Mm-hmm. need or may or may not be good because I'm sure there are good courses out there uh, and without spe- you know specifying which ones you took what is yes. it that you learned in because I know you took some courses on writer's assistant training what did these courses teach you and what did you find most valuable in them yeah so the first one I took actually have I still have the binder that uh, 
the guy gave me right next to me. Um, that one was more just like a primer on, well, here's what a writer's PA is and here's what they do. Here's what a writer's assistant is and here's what they do. Here's what you should say in an interview. Here's what you shouldn't say in an interview, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more just like a primer, whereas the other one I took was much more like, here's how you take notes. Right. Um, we're going to all be in a mock room and we're all going to take turns taking notes. And so that was just like immensely helpful to have had practice taking notes before I ended up. I was think I got my writer assistant job like two, three weeks after I took that class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah, it was great timing and it like totally saved my butt. Um, yeah. Well, you had but, said that the first... Uh, per- first class you took where he went over some of the things that you should and shouldn't say in an interview. What were some of those things? So basically when you are lucky enough to land an interview, you mm-hmm. just want to make them make it clear that you are a person they could stand to be around for, you know, eight hours a day or however long the room is. Um, you just want to show like, yeah, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to focus on doing the work. I'm not going to like, unfortunately they I mean, not that you can't say you don't want to be a writer. Like, they were going to want someone. Usually, they're going to want someone who wants to be a writer. But, it's pretty common that every writer's there, assistant wants to be a right, writer. Right, exactly. But you're there to take the notes. Mm-hmm. You're there to do the work. You're not necessarily there to write. And, like, I mean, they're definitely showrunners who let you pitch. Like, my showrunner let me pitch. But that's not your main job. That's right. not what they're paying you to do. And they want to make sure that you're someone who's going to focus more on taking the notes because that's what they're hiring you to do. Right. Um. And then ironically, they don't like people who appear desperate, which I mean, how can you not be desperate when you're trying to get a job? But sure. that's the catch 22. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and in the note, notes process, you had talked a little bit about the way you sort of organize things uh, mm-hmm. and some of the things you focus on and try not to focus on. Is there anything else about the notes process? Like you take notes in a room and then what happens, right? So after right. after the room breaks up, they all go off to their, all the writers go off to their offices and do their thing. As a writer's assistant, what are you doing? So you're cleaning up the notes, which again is the editing I was talking about earlier, organizing everything into like, I like to do subheadings. I also, if possible, with a showrunner likes it to do table of contents at the beginning because that really helps just be like, yeah, if you're looking specifically for, again, if you're looking specifically for what we talked about regarding Jonah, then mm-hmm. you can go to page 22 and you'll find it right there. Oh my God, 22 would be a very long page of notes. Um, but yeah, so it's just table contents, uh, subheadings, date is also a very important thing to put in your notes, like date every single document you mm-hmm. ever do in a room because there will absolutely be a time when your showrunner is like, oh, what did we talk about two weeks ago? And then if you can't find it, you are going to look very bad. Mm. Yeah. And then who gets these notes? that you distribute everyone in the room and that's it studios at least at no show i've worked on studios don't get the notes mm-hmm. no one outside the writer's room gets the notes it's just for the room itself mm-hmm. um studios will obviously get other documents later on sure. you know a, you know um a one pager or story uh i'm blanking on the term um or an outline or the drafts of course but the notes are just for the room mm-hmm and you should never share them outside the room. Right, that's bad. Someone on Twitter yeah. started a big, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Twitter yeah, uproar. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, Don't by sharing notes. share notes outside the room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for those out there who may be looking for a writer's assistant job, as many writer's assistants are, but especially for those not in the industry yet, mm-hmm. uh, how did you find your first writer's assistant job or land it? Uh, and then how did 
uh, where do these jobs pop up? Because they don't pop up on job boards. No. They don't pop up anywhere like on very rarely, if ever, do you see them on places like Reddit or, you know, wherever. Even the UTA job list doesn't tend to have them. Or if it does, mm-hmm. it was like from two weeks ago and it's already filled. You know what I mean? Right. So where do where did you find or get your first opportunity? Uh, and when where do writers out there, like, what's the best place for them to sort of find it if they can or hear about it? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's all who you know. It's all luck. It's all timing. I got incredibly lucky. Um, like I said, I'm from Los Angeles. So even though my parents are in the, in the industry, when I graduated, they reached out to like every single person they knew. And they mm. were like, do you know anybody who works in the industry? Could Allie meet them? Blah, blah, blah. And someone somehow knew my um the guy who became my boss they connected us he was the one who offered to do an advice phone call with me it went well he was like you know it's too bad i don't have a show so i could just give you a job and i was like hmm. and then a year and a half later i saw in the trades that he had got a show i reached out uh it was that it, serendipity that was it it was yeah it was just again i got super super lucky um it just all worked out that way mm-hmm. um and it's interesting because i know people always say you know if you see a show in the trades that room's long started or they're months out from development but for, again it was just good timing because that when i reached out to him that was like less than two months before the room ended up starting oh good yeah now do your parents work in the entertainment industry at no. all no. so i mean to me that's interesting granted you're family is from LA at least. Yes. So yeah, that, that is a that privilege. Is, that itself. is yeah, in, in an interesting advantage in terms of the circle your family mm-hmm. knows and the circle of but I mean I do think that if people do reach out, there could be for a lot of people, maybe unbeknownst to them, some sort of a six degrees of separation, especially in today's day and age of uh, social media. And where everybody's sort of interconnected on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, other ways, I know a lot of people reach out on Twitter because there's a lot of showrunners and, and writers mm-hmm. on Twitter making connections that way. Uh, or in if they're not in L.A., uh, through different social events, film festivals in other cities mm-hmm. or screenplay competitions where you get a mentor and things like that. There's always putting that that those feelers out there. Uh yeah. And I would also say, don't just network up, network across. Oh, absolutely. Other yeah. aspiring writers or your friends, other assistants, mm-hmm. like every, every job I've been recommended for since has come from like an assistant or a lower level writer. Yeah. No, that's yeah. great advice. Great advice. So many people only look at, oh, I need to meet a bunch of showrunners if right. I'm going to work. And that's not the case at all. Like you said, anyone from the top all the way to the bottom can help you get another job. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. It shouldn't just be about you. What can other people do for you? It's part yes, of a community. You, you want to make friends. Yeah. People friends who will go lo- a much longer way than just using people for the connection. Right. Because in this business, you can smell those people and see those people. Mm-hmm. People who are just looking at you as an opportunity to help them. And it's and that's... It's one, it's not cool. And two, people can smell that. And, and they tend to shy away from people like that, the, the, the users of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those, and I found that if you help other people, it then tends to come back around. You know, like, yeah, it, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm going to try to help this person find a job so that if they get a job, they can help me to try to find a job. No, I mean, if, if another person needs help reading, like, hey, if you need, 
want another pair of eyes on your script, right? right. Or if you need, yeah. you know, whatever, if there's any sort of, oh, they're working on a script and they are brainstorming an idea, they need some help with this or whatever. Hey, what about this? However you can offer support. Sometimes it's just, hey, congratulations on this. I heard you got a new gig or whatever. Just being positive and and, and going out there and, and being a good person to those around you uh, tends mm-hmm. to, to reap rewards. Maybe not immediately, but, you know, in the future. Yeah. You're, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's what you hear a lot. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people don't look at it like that. They try to cut corners. They try to... Uh, jump yeah. and again that's not to say that you won't you know whoever's watching or listening won't be the one person who sends the first script they've ever read or written to a com- competition wins nickel wins austin yeah. wins some you know tv screenplay script competition gets signed at caa and uh you know anonymous yeah. content lands a deal with, you know, Spielberg producing their show. I'm describing Mickey Fisher. Uh, Did that really happen to him? He, he, yeah, with his pilot extant, he won, I don't remember the name of the contest, a TV, his pilot his won a contest. his first pilot? Yeah. And, uh, so uh, there's always an exception to the rule. Absolutely. And then Spielberg yeah. came on board, he got Halle Berry attached, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if he's at CAA or not, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that just kind of <laughs> happened. I realized I was describing his situation, but it's rare. I, and I he, had no idea. And he's the nicest guy in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. He deserves it. And I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he becomes, you know, I hope he runs the town. Uh, he's just such a good guy. But, I mean, that's a rare situation. Uh, more likely than not, you're going to have to go through a route like yourself, you know, working yeah. as a writer's assistant, working your way up, um, which is, is traditional. I mean, that's if you, there's no real route in per se, but if you were to pack pick, you know, two or three more common routes, whether it's fellowships, or uh, writer's assistant, or winning a contest. You know, the writer's assistant route and the fellowship route are probably the most successful and the most uh, likely to end up being turning into a writer's staff writer job at some point. Yes and no. I do think. I mean, writer's assistant is still very helpful mm-hmm. to learn how to be in a room because there's, you know, you can't really learn how room dynamics work until sure. you're in a room yourself. Um, so that's a very helpful part of it. I mean, I personally like just learned so much about TV writing in general, being in a room, like learning how boarding happens, all that kind of stuff. Um, that being said, the ladder is a little broken right now. Hmm. Um, like I know people who have been my assistants for five, 10 years. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, 10 years seems like a long time, but no, yeah, absolutely. It's a long yeah. time. Um, so, you know, it's very important to still be working your own stuff on the side because, mm-hmm. because of streaming now, it's not gonna it's a lot harder to get the freelance episodes because right. so many shows don't even hit those 13 episodes anymore. right they're short orders yeah right so in that sense like always be working and stuff on the side always mm-hmm. be meeting as many people as you can because i mean i'm i'm never gonna say like don't be a writer assistant because i think for me personally it was super rewarding mm-hmm. but you can't depend on that as your only path to staff writer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, I think, the percentage of people, writers, who mm-hmm. get that job, who end up getting a, a job at some point, even not necessarily from that show you're on, right? Another writer yeah. that worked in that room could get a show two years from now and go, oh, yeah, yeah you, you know, know. Right. It could lead to another job. At least you're in the business. You're seeing the room. Uh, you're making connection as opposed to you were able to get a lit rep 
and they're just sending your stuff out and you hope and pray that at some point you'll get a showrunner meeting and it'll go really well and you'll right. get hired, you know, those, uh, and having never been in a room before, because mm-hmm. especially those short orders, it becomes more and more difficult because when, you know, if it does go to 13 and you get a freelance episode, they tend to go with either, you know, uh, fellowship writers because they're free, right? Or they tend to go to yeah. people that they're owed, i.e. the writer's assistant, the showrunner's assistant, somebody in-house who knows the show, who knows the people involved, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing, more so than a staff writer, generally speaking. But again, it's it's absolutely, there's no direct path. There is no yeah, lottery. Yeah, there's no one path. Right. I, you know, my grandfather always had this saying in our family, like, you just keep throwing shit at the wall until something sticks. Absolutely. you got to try everything. Right. Uh, and talking about room dynamics, something that you learned, mm-hmm. uh, and you, it's, it's difficult to learn not being in a writer's room. And every writer's room, as as we talked about, is different. Every showrunner right. has different preferences, and the writers are different. But what are some of the things that you discovered that you didn't know about before you got in a writer's room that you found uh, most helpful? Um... What did I not know about before I went in? I feel like I knew a lot going in just because I was um, a weirdo freak who literally <laughs> read everything there was to read about being a writer's assistant before I started as a writer's assistant. Um, like, I remember, I think I still have it bookmarked, the Tracy Wigfield, I think it was Cosmopolitan article mm-hmm. she did about, she started as a writer's assistant on 30 Rock and by the final season had won an Emmy and now she's a big showrunner. I like, that was like my Bible, right. her article about it. Um yeah um i don't know specifically what i didn't know but like i don't know if the people watching this know the different levels but there's different levels in a writer's room as well like from staff writer at the bottom to showrunner at the top like it goes staff writer story editor executive story editor co-producer and then there's like uh producer supervising producer co-ep and then finally the showrunner's executive producer and then there's like consulting producers somewhere in there sometimes too. My show mm-hmm. only was eight episodes. We didn't have a consulting producer, but like, so that, that's the thing as, as well. Um, I hope I did that order right. I yeah, you did. A lot of times consulting um, producers are also just people with studio deals yeah. that they have to find work for because they're getting paid by the yep. network or the studio. So they'll insert them into a show just to have an extra writer since they're paying them anyway. Yeah. Um, so those different levels, you know, Again, every showrunner is different. Some mm-hmm. showrunners don't care about that hierarchy and everyone is equal. Mm-hmm. I have heard of showrunners who do not think that way. Um, so again, that just depends on the room. Again, I was lucky enough that I was in a room where if I could pitch once, I could pitch once a day and my showrunner wouldn't care. Um, I was certainly more than allowed to talk when people, you know, went off on their tangents or whatever and be a part of the conversation. I do know that there are some showrunners that don't want the writer's assistants to talk uh-huh. at all. It just depends what situation you get into. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And then, like, I think the number one thing I would say is, like, talk as little as possible the first two weeks. Learn the room. Definitely don't pitch until you know that it is a safe space. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so let's go to a couple of the questions. Um, Winnie M asked, I think you might have already sort of answered the question, where does one go to find a writer's assistant job? And as you discussed, there's no sort of board listing, generally speaking, to find no. them. You reached out to your parents and your parents reached out to everyone they knew, which I think 
I mean, is is one way to go about it, depending on how uh, entrenched uh, you are in the industry or how if, if there's even a distant connection. I mean, follow it because you never know where it could lead. You never know. Like I worked just worked with someone recently who was from Wisconsin. You would think she wouldn't have any connections, but like she's like a family friend who was like a line producer. Like you never know. Like, right. You might as well just you never know. Um, you know, go through your Facebook friends list, go through whatever your Instagram friends like. Mm-hmm. You don't know who you, you actually know until you check. Um, and I will say, though, that, like, if you start off as an assistant, there are assistant groups where, like, occasionally those jobs do pop up. Sure. Um, but that's but also from the to, industry. That's also from the industry. You do already have to be an assistant. Right. But, like, I when I was an assistant at Dr. Phil, I was able to get into those groups. Sure. So you don't need to be already a room assistant to get access to those job postings, but yes, you do have to already be working in the industry. Yeah. Uh, Farzin Farzam says, question for Allison. Do you see writer's assistants who are in their late 30s or 40s, also people who have not gone to film school? Thanks. Yes, both. Um, writer's assistants in their 40s and 30s and 40s. Um, yeah, there's no... I don't think it's ever too late. Mm-hmm. To, uh, you never know. I in, in fact, I think more and more these days... People, showrunners, studios, X, whatever, they like writers who have had a lot of life experience. Right. Um, there's a whole, like, so many, if you look, so many fellowship winners are not people who went to film school. They're people who were doctors or lawyers or whatever, and then they decided to pivot to a career in writing. Like, right. they really love that right now. And I think especially if you have had life's experience, work experience in a job that matches that show. Because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, all shows will hire, uh, if they need one, a technical assistant that, a research, you know, that, that fits whatever, the show, you're yeah. a consultant that fits whatever their uh, show is, so that if you're a writer's assistant bringing that additional voice, additional experience, I think that would be incredibly valuable. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Like, your life experiences will only make you a better writer. Right, right. Um, so, because uh, I know Farzin, I think he has a PhD he had mentioned before. So, depending that's on what that is. Probably that... inc- I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's, I'm okay. sure there's some writer out, showing out there who can make great use of Yeah, absolutely. That is, yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Eric Angiuliano, hopefully I pronounced your name right, Eric. Eric Angiuliano says, where does one find these writer's assistant training courses? Where did you find the training courses you went to and how did you know they were legit? Well, okay. So the first one I found through NYU, actually, through okay. the Alumni Network. There's like a whole Google group for NYU people in LA. Mm-hmm. And someone posted about it in there. It was, I don't want, uh, I want to preface all this by saying, like, I'm not saying you should do it. Like, I'm never going to tell anyone to spend money on anything in regards to writing career. And I know there's a lot of people who, uh, on Twitter, who don't like the idea of paying to learn how to be a assistant. And I, don't blame them. Um, I'm just saying I did it and I got a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the person who ran it, he's now, I don't even know what level he's at anymore. When I did it, he was a co-producer on Blackish, um, and he worked his entire way up. Like he started as a writer's PA right out of college. He was a writer's assistant. He was a show assistant. He was a script coordinator. He did that for years and years. Um, and then he got on Blackish and he worked his way up the writer's dream ladder on Blackish. So, like, it was legit because someone who had actually been a writer's assistant and writer's PA was the one teaching the course. And now he's in a room who was watching other people be writer's assistants and writer's mm-hmm. PAs. 
Um, and same thing, the other class they did was um, through writing pad. And again, the guy teaching it had been a writer assistant before. He was now, uh, I don't know, I don't remember what level he was, but he was a working writer by the time he was teaching it. And yeah, he'd also been a writer assistant before. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I guess it was legit because the people teaching it had done it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And what, what do you pay for a course and how long are they? Um, Approximately, if you could just. Uh, the first one was just like a one day thing, like mm. probably two, three hours. But like most of what you're paying for was the binder, which I, again, I still have it. I still sure. look through it. It was incredibly valuable. I think it was like $100 maybe. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. And then the writing pad one was like three weeks or it was like one day for three weeks if that makes sense like every sunday for three weeks um so three classes how long were the classes three classes thank you um like three hours okay i think it was three three hour classes um that was maybe 300 bucks that's that's still not too bad not too bad again i'm not saying you have to do them i'm not saying you have to spend money on anything in regards to a writing career right it's not my money but I personally found it helpful. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, and I I think that the apprehension of of people writers wanting not wanting to spend money on these things comes from three sources. The first being writing is free, so I don't know why I should have to pay for it when I can write for free. Why do I have to pay someone to help me? Two, I think because there are so many scammers out there, people mm-hmm. who have not done it, who are yes. are. are failed writers themselves who are just trying to make a buck and uh three because there's so much free information out there i mean we put these out for free i don't we don't charge anything for these yeah. podcasts you know there's so many great podcasts script notes and uh children of Tendu, and there's so many great sources out there that are free mm-hmm. that they look at and like why do i have to pay for things which again your courses were focused solely on being a writer's assistant so sometimes when you specialize like that or if you need it when you need it or whatever the binder the resources that come in that, uh, you know, people pay money to go to college. Why do they do that, right? People pay yeah. money to take a cooking lesson or I want to learn to skydive or I want to do whatever. They pay money for that. But when it comes to a writing course, they don't want to do it. And again, I'm not telling anyone to do it or not do it. But I think a lot of yeah. it comes from those places. It's like, well, I can listen to script notes for free or this person has never done it. Why should I pay people to do it? And, or I can just write myself and just keep writing and then and I'll sell a script, um, yeah. which is completely valid way to think about it because none of that is untrue. But I do think that there are some opportunities out there if you if you have the resources uh, that can speed up the process a little bit for you, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah, anyway, Um Let's see what else we have here. Uh, uh, Ash Laser uh, says, to echo Farzan's question regarding older writers breaking in, do most of the writers' room support staff you know or see seem to be recent graduates, or do you know any older folks, which you would sort of talked about? Yeah, there are definitely people who are doing it in their 30s and 40s. I would say late 20s is the most common age I would I see out there. Mm-hmm. Um but that's not the rule. That's right. just the most common. And then it's also probably because like I'm in my twenties. Those are people I associate with more. Right. Just, uh, but yeah, late twenties is probably the most common age. Um, definitely people in their thirties, definitely people in their forties. It's probably people older than that doing it. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no age cutoff. Right. 
And I think the recent graduates would probably, because I know a lot of writer's assistants who got their job because they were an assistant in another capacity. They were an art department PA or they were an office PA or whatever. And then at some point they heard about the writer's assistant job and said, hey, I'd love to be your writer's PA or your writer's assistant or whatever and worked their way in through that way, which means they're already, you know, a year or two, couple years at minimum away from... I've, I've only know like one or two people who basically start right out of college mm-hmm. and they still start as writer's PA. Like I don't know anyone who got a writer's assistant job. Right. Just right a, away. Right. Their first job. And the know. only reason they even got the writer's PA is because they knew the right people. Like I think right. the one I know, his girlfriend's mom was a showrunner. That can help. So that, that might he help. got the writer's PA job on her show. Right. But you know, yeah. Right. Um, So Ash also asks, what type of strategies are you thinking about for yourself to parlay your writer's assistant position into your next gig or attempts to get staffed? Do you have or are seeking a manager or are you seeking a manager? Um, I don't have a manager. Uh, If the right situation came along, I would obviously love to take a manager. But from my understanding out there, the manager will come at the time you need it. And mm-hmm. that shouldn't be your main focus. Your main focus should just be meeting people, working on your writing, you know, always, well, I don't want to say always keep writing. Cause I think it's unhealthy to say you must write two hours every day, <laughs> not a real writer, but like always like, you know, you should, you shouldn't just like write one script and expect that one script to right. do everything for you. Like mm-hmm. you always have to be, working on new material on whatever timeline works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, if a manager comes along, great. That's not my main focus. Cause I don't think I'm in a place in a career where like I need to have one. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like when I am in a place, like you want the managers to come to you, you don't want to necessarily like be banging, knocking on their door. Like, cause it needs to be the right fit too. Mm-hmm. Like I know so many people who sign with the first manager who approached them and then it didn't really work out cause it wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, it's all timing. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, as for the first half of that question, though, um, I just think being a assistant is just really like, like, I'm a terrible outliner. And being a assistant has really been like, woken me up and be like, yeah, I really that's the number one skill I need to be working on right now. Because if you're watching this, and you don't like doing outlines either. That is a huge part of being a TV writer. Right, absolutely. Is. Like, you have to turn in outlines to the network and the studio. That's just how it works. Like, yes, when you write your own stuff, you can get away with it. But when you are working, when you are staff, you have to do outlines. You just right. have to. So that is, like, the number one skill I'm working on right now is, like, okay, yeah, I really got to practice doing outlines. Um, yeah. Right, because if you're in a room breaking the season and you're assigned episode whatever it happens to be, and you kind of know the beats of it, the right. thought would be, well, I can just go write my episode. No, you have to, before you start writing your actual episode, you have to write an outline so that you can send it to the show or the network and they can approve it. And then right. you go to script, right? Every process gets approved. Like, yeah. again, you'll beat out the whole episode together as a group. And then usually only one person will write the story area. That was the term that I totally forgot because I was nervous. Um, mm. You'll Usually there's a story area first, which is basically like a one-page summary um, of everything that was beaded out. That has to get approved by the network. Sometimes that could go through multiple rounds of notes. Then there's the outline. Again, that will absolutely go through multiple rounds of notes. And then drafts, again, multiple rounds of notes from the network in the studio. That's just the reality. Um, I don't know of any room where there's no network or studio notes. Maybe if you reach a certain auteur level. But Mm. yeah. Right. 
so from your experience, when the writer's room breaks and a writer's assigned a specific episode and you've already got the beats that were broken down by the, the room itself um, and you go off, what is the sort of the time frame of when you turn in different portions uh, for uh, to get notes back from and approval from your showrunner, your network, to when you're actually starting the script to actually completing yeah. your draft, whatever. I mean, it really just depends on the deadlines that the network sets. Mm-hmm. Um, we were ahead of our deadlines the entire time, actually. So I don't even remember what like exactly what they were because we always came in ahead. Right. But I would say like. Do you remember to have like a day or two I would for say this about a, and a day or two for that? I would say about, yeah, like maybe a couple days for the story area and like a week for the outline, maybe even less than that. And then like at least a week for a draft. Um, yeah, I think that's what it was for mm-hmm. us, what our show and our gay people. And then again, we were ahead of schedule too. So if people need more time, I sure was like, yeah, fine, whatever, because we were ahead. But right. I'm sure there are rooms, especially rooms that are also in production at the same time where you do not have the luxury of time to uh, <laughs> right. your like I, someone shared on Twitter the other day, like that gif of a, uh, is it Wallace or Gromit? Whatever the mm. dog is. Oh, the like train laying tracks. out track. Yeah. The train yeah. tracks. Like that's my understanding of what it is to be in a room when your show is also in production. Right. Time. You're laying tracks yeah. as the train's ri- running. Yeah. Right. Right. As the train's going, you're also still laying out tracks in the front. Yeah. Um, and that's funny because oftentimes, like when you talk to writers, it's like, well, when is your episode actually done? Like when are you finally done writing that episode? And they say, well, when it starts shooting. Yeah. You know. Um, and like there are times too, like your showrunner will probably rewrite your stuff. Oh yeah. It's just the reality, especially like like we were a streaming show, so we finished the room months before they even went into production. Mm-hmm. So. Once you finish the room and you're not getting paid anymore, if they need a rewrite or something, they're just going to have the showrunner do it. Like, yeah. it's just reality. Like, right. it, it really is a team effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Winnie M says the writing pad course is now 3.30. Uh, okay. But that probably was then, yeah, too. That pretty, sounds right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but she also asks, does a writer's assistant get benefits, health insurance, et cetera? Does it pay enough to live on? Which is a great oh, question because now there's I a potential to strike. More my shirt yeah, so let's talk does. about that. Let's oh, I'm talk so glad about, you brought that up. Yeah, let's talk yes. about writer's assistants. What do you get paid? What are your benefits and health insurance and yeah, uh, all so that kind of stuff? There's a union minimum, which as of the last contract, is only $1 more hmm. uh, than minimum wage in Los Angeles. Uh, $16 an hour. Um, there's, you can negotiate. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes a studio will say, nope, sorry, that's the rate it, what it is. Um, I know it's most common to get a 60 hour guarantee, meaning you'll get paid for 60 hours, no matter how much you actually worked that week. Mm. I think I only, I didn't really negotiate cause I was so, uh, scared to negotiate because it's my first racism job i think i only got like 55 hours um yeah so that's a whole that's the fight one right now because you can't live off 16 dollars an hour um so i don't think i can get into specifics but we're been trying to ask for a lot more than that the studios have not budged mm-hmm. um hence the possible strike there's also it's not just our local 
in negotiations. There's 13 locals in negotiations. We're fighting for things besides uh, wage increase, including um, meal breaks, reasonable rest, better uh, health benefits are, because part of the issue is that streaming to this day is still classified as new media. New media, right. Which, I mean, Netflix got 44 Emmys uh, last week. I don't know how new you can call it anymore, but... um, And how many billions are they spending every year on uh, productions? Exactly. Um, So they don't really contribute to our health fund Hmm. and our pension plan, which is an issue, and we're trying to get them to contribute. Um, Yeah, so... But we do get health insurance. If our writers' assistants and script pointers do, because they're union, I don't know exactly what it is for HPA and showroom assistant. Well, showroom assistant... It's probably a whole other thing because you're under a writer's overall deal usually. But um, writer's PA, you probably get offered a little something. Just, I mean, I've been a PA myself, which is a non-union position. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still get offered like, I think your employer pays like, I don't know, two thirds or whatever. And then I just always have them take the other third out right on my paycheck. So it's not great, but the union health insurance actually is really great. Um, you do have to work a certain number of hours. Like they have it set at 400 hours, which is kind of a little high, um, which is makes it more insane that I think this is public. I think I can say it because I think Deadline had it, that studios wanted to more than double uh, how many hours you need to work mm-hmm. to qualify for health insurance, which is just another reason why we may or may not be going on strike. We'll see right. how the vote pans out um, and how the studio responds to the vote. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so that's all part of what IOTC is fighting for. Um, I certainly hope one day show assistants and writers PAs and just PAs in general all become unionized with us because that is, even though we're in a fight with studios, that's definitely made a huge difference. Like I know people who before, who were doing this job before we were unionized and they were making like $15,000 a year, which is insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I is fighting for. I probably should mention while I'm here that if we do end up going on strike, don't take a writer assistant job or script coordinator job on a union show. Don't scab. Like you will just be hurting yourself in the long run because not only will that bar you from joining IOTC when mm. the strike's over and uh, preventing you from taking any union writer assistant job again, it will also bar you from joining any other union including the WGA. Wow. So if you scab, you're you're going to torpedo your entire future career. Right. So for I just want to make that. For a few weeks on a, on a show. If, or only a few weeks because, yeah. again, the way the contract works, you can only work, I think you can only work two weeks in a non-union position. Mm. In, or not, sorry. You only work two weeks in a union position before you have to join the union. Right. So if we're on strike and you do and you scab, they're going to fire you after two weeks anyway and hire someone else because you're, they're obviously not going to go have you join the union because then you're going to have to go strike too. So right. you're just going to hurt yourself in the long run. It's not worth it. Uh, what, and we're, we're fighting for everyone. What IATC local are you part of and who else, what other positions are in the same union? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm in 871. I don't know if people can see. Um, so it's writer assistants, script coordinators. Maybe I should pull this up so I don't get it wrong. Um, <laughs> writer assistants, script coordinators, script supervisors are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, supervisors, 
continuity coordinators, production office coordinators, assistant production office coordinators, art department coordinator, coordinators. Um, there might be more than that in there too. There's a lot of crafts in 8701 mm-hmm. for... Um, and what kind of... It's a hodgepodge. What sort of initiation fee and what kind of dues do you guys pay? Dues are $100. Well, it's like $97.51 or something like that. Every quarter, every three months, mm-hmm. I think it is. Okay. Um, initiation fees were 1000 I think, but I paid that off over like several months. Like I think I did like $200 a month for okay. like five months or whatever. So it's not bad. I know that like... If you get in a tricky financial situation, you can take a break from paying dues. Mm-hmm. Like I think during the pandemic, they suspended dues entirely. Like, Which is they good. will they will try to help you out if yeah. you're like in a yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Morgana says union solidarity forever. Uh, and Winnie nice. M says as a yeah. member of SAG-AFTRA, I absolutely stand with IATSE solidarity solidarity forever. Good job. Um, that's great. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Um, Joanne, Joanne Lolly uh, says, um, 30 and 40 is not older, but I guess it is Hollywood. And I think we're just talking, yes, yeah. but we're also just talking about sort of as an entry level position in most fields, yeah. seeing, you know, what is considered entry. I mean, it's not obviously like we were talking yeah. about, you do have to have a certain skill set. So it's not really entry level. But I think for those outside looking in, you think, oh, it's an entry level position. And it is like if you're trying to be a writer, I guess it would be on the lower end of the rungs. So to be 30 or 40 in starting off in a career, you know, or at least in the first few rungs is sort of older. You're not old by any means. No, but, you're not old. Right. Not old. Just but compared like, to, you know, people who are starting their career in the entertainment industry. Right. You know, like 22 years old or whatever. Like seeing a, 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 a first year resident on uh, – you know, in an ER and they're like 45, you know, that's just, that's, you know, older than your average, probably first year resident, my guess. Again, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I wouldn't know, but I'm guessing. Um, uh, But point taken, Joanne, let's not age discriminate. Um, Ash says, is it fair to say for you, instead of querying a manager or entering contests, your plan is networking and working your way up through the support staff positions to earn a staff position? Um, yeah, that's what my plan is right now. We'll see how things change, how things go. I definitely am still going to do contests and fellowship applications on the side because, again, you never know. I'm not querying anyone right now at the moment. If I win nickel or something, then yeah, I probably will query and be like, hey, they won't, you won't query. If you you finally, yeah, you're finalist, they'll query you. They'll come after you. From where I am right now, I'm not querying, no. Um, and then uh, he also goes on to say, very smart insights on the potential union strike. I've heard John August and Craig Mazin in support of it, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, we love those guys. What do you think are the chances of a strike? What are your plans during that time, if so? Um, I don't know exactly. I, you know, IATSE and myself included are encouraging everyone in IATSE to vote yes mm-hmm. on the strike authorization vote. Because the more yes votes we have, we'll show the studios how Absolutely. serious we are. Um, so I I think it's likely that it will be a yes vote on the strike. But just because there's a yes vote on the strike does not mean that there will be a strike. Right. That's just another tool to negotiate with. Um, it's kind of just up to the AMPTP after that to be like, well, you guys did say you're going to strike. We'll take that seriously. Here's your mm-hmm. deal. Or... 
not. Right. You can't strike um, anyway, so take our right. offer or, or nothing. Right. right. So it just depends. A, the strike vote still needs to be held. It hasn't officially happened yet. Mm -hmm. Um, even though we've called for it. Um, and then it also depends, you know, once the results are in how AMPTP reacts to that. Um, we will see. I don't know exactly what the timeline is. I don't know exactly a hundred percent if there'll be a strike or not. I just urge anyone who's an IOT to vote yes on the vote. Mm -hmm. Um, cause larger numbers will show how serious we are. Absolutely. Um, and if there is a strike, yeah, I'm actually in between shows. So I, I'm luckier than most. I don't have to walk off a job. Right. But so you can just go yeah, out to I'm the picket line like everybody else. I'm definitely going to picket line. I'm definitely yeah. going to do whatever I can um, yeah. to help out. But we'll see what happens. Well, and, you know, if even if you're not in the unions, if there's a picket line, you can join. And it's funny because yes. I remember doing the, yeah. doing the 2008 strike. A lot of writers, uh, younger writers, aspiring writers, newer writers, emerging writers, uh, writers who were out of work, went to the picket lines, uh, even those that weren't in the union, and made a lot of connections, made a lot of friends, made a lot of, you know, yeah. so support the union. Yeah, support the union, join the picket line, don't yeah. cross the picket line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Joanne Lolly has subscribed. Thank you, Joanne. And and going back to what we were talking about um, in terms of age, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to, and, and we were talking about Mickey Fisher. Mickey Fisher got his break when he was in his early 40s, I believe. I think he sold his show because he had a different career. It was at a, as an ATV spokesman, like he worked for an ATV company as oh, their okay. spokesman. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Um, and so now I wanted to just switch gears a little bit because we mm -hmm. haven't talked about it, but I know it's something that I think would help a lot of, of those emerging writers out there. And that is uh, screenplay competitions as a yeah. reader for various mm -hmm. screenplay competitions. Let's talk about that. Uh, so when, you know, uh, John or Jane writer sends in their script to a screenplay competition, what happens? Who does it go to? I guess you're the first line as a reader. Uh, it lands in your lap. How many do you read? Uh, you obviously at least have a background working in the industry, but I don't know if that's yeah. the case with every contest, which is why some of them are more suspect mm -hmm. and some of them are more prestigious. Uh, so what happens? You, you, do you, How many scripts do you read a day? And are you yeah. paid? Because I, I know some of them aren't paid and some of them do uh -uh. pay. It depends. So um, maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience as a screenplay reader. Yeah, so I had a background in it a little bit because I, again, I went to film school. Mm -hmm. So I, part of my curriculum in film school is actually learning how to do script coverage. I spent a whole summer as an unpaid development intern doing script coverage as well, right after I graduated college, which I think only helped. Um, and then of course I was a writer assistant as well, I think before I even started script reading. So all that probably helped me um, get the script reading gigs, all of which I didn't get them all through people I knew. I think only one of them, which was for the most prestigious competition, I was directly recommended. Um, I think the other, oh, one of them also, I don't think it's open to the public yet, but mm -hmm. that one I got because of one of the assistant Facebook groups. Actually, I do think I can talk about that one because I'm friends with the person who runs it and I don't think she'd be mad at me. Uh, one of them I read for is called The Red List, which is the DSA Hollywood Labor script competition mm -hmm. um, that specifically looks for socialist scripts. So that's actually how I ended up. Yeah, that's actually how I ended up joining DSA through that competition. Um, 
yeah so that one i also found through instant facebook group and then the other two i read for i found through job boards honestly mm-hmm. um so it just depends so you can probably find a script reader gig on a job board um i don't know if i would send my scripts to those competitions but if you want to be a script reader you probably can go about it that way right. um yeah and none of them were paid um or if they were paid they were hypothetically very little money under the table but i'm not saying that happened uh <laughs> thank you irs um yeah so yeah it's definitely not something you should go into for the money right like for me it's like a little resume builder on the side gotcha and i do think that the prestigious competition one should definitely be paid because it's a very prestigious competition and right. it's kind of crazy that they don't pay to me but oh wow yeah i had get, no idea they get, they get um a very insane amount of submissions too which right i don't know people would probably be more motivated to read more if they were paid but yeah that's just my opinion um yeah so i mean there really is no at least not the ones i did they were not like you must do like one script a day or like whatever like it was very much like i think like one of them wanted like a week one of them gave you two weeks actually a couple of them gave you two weeks like it wasn't like it was as much as you wanted to do usually gotcha so i think in total from those four together i probably read i probably read almost 100 scripts wow but that was over the course of like six months oh gotcha and um yeah and how uh like what sort of coverage do you need to turn in for these scripts and i know as a former story analyst like if a script was bad the the old saying is get them in the first five to ten pages because you may not get more than that they may stop reading i don't know if that's the case for uh, script competition uh, readers, screenplay competition readers or not. I know for me as a story analyst working at a production company, I couldn't stop. I had to read the whole thing. I mean, I knew it was good or bad within five to ten pages, but I yes. didn't have, but I had to keep reading because I had to write actual coverage, detailed coverage for every script that came in. What is it like for screenplay competitions? Can you stop it and say, this is just brutal, forget it? Or do you have to finish the whole thing and then write coverage for it? Like a report you're or something or score? To, you're right. supposed to finish the whole thing. But most of the competitions don't ask for a summary. Okay. So I am sure that there are people who probably don't read the whole thing and stop after 10 pages. Because you're right. You can totally tell mm-hmm. within 10 pages, like, where it's going, if it's going to be good or bad. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's all in the honor system. So they prob- there probably are p- readers out there who are like, no, this sucks. I'm going to stop reading. Because if you don't have to give a summary, then you probably can just tell um so what do you give them a score a rating uh, how, do, how does it, that work it depends on the competition there mm-hmm. is one that was just fully scores i didn't have to even give any commentary there's one where the commentary was like one sentence on its strengths one sentence on its weakness and that was it mm-hmm. and then there's another one the red list i did like full coverage like okay. that was one that i did do a summary that was one where like you wrote paragraphs and paragraphs about it but that was also because they were specifically looking for social scripts so like Right. You talk about like, why is this a socialist script? It can't just be good. It has to be socialist. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the most prestigious one. Yeah, it was like a paragraph of notes on like each little section, you know, like character, dialogue, Mm -hmm. story, concept, that kind of thing. Right. But I, I just started reading for the second round of that competition. And that one is just scores. 
I got you. So, you know. Now, when it scores, is it just like one score of one to ten on how you like the script? Or is it on individual portions of the script, like the pacing and, you know, the characters and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. I've never seen a score where it's like, do you like this? Right on one thing. Because how could you even do that? Right, right. There's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think even rating a script on numbers is tricky anyway, even when you're doing on individual sections. Because, like, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to be like, well, like what, like what even is a seven on character? You know, like what does that even mean? Right. Yeah. So they, uh, uh, what are some of the common mistakes you've seen in? I'm not just talking formatting mistakes, although if you see a mm-hmm. lot of poorly formatted scripts, that's interesting. Interesting to know as well. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes you see in scripts submitted to contests? And since you've read hundreds of them. <laughs> Yeah, um, the number one, I think I even put this on Twitter, the number one is not differentiating your characters. If you just write like, Bob, 25, ugly, that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I'm not, it's not visual. I'm not watching a movie, I'm reading a script, like right. describing Unless it's specific, like. like he needs to be ugly for a reason. Right, right. but I'm not watching it. So like knowing what he looks like doesn't really help me when I'm reading the script, unless like, yeah, it's much more helpful if you write something like Bob, 25, Stoner, Slacker, that kind of thing. Because, mm. like, give a personality description. And then sure. it's much easier. Because otherwise, you're, like, reading through the script and you're like, wait, which one was Bob again? Which one's right. Jim? Which one's Tim? Right. Like, it's it becomes tricky to keep track of them. And then if you can't keep track of them, you can't keep track of the story. And then, then you've lost me. Mm. And then I'm not going to give it a good score because I didn't understand what was happening. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that's the number one. Um, not enough white on the page. There were so many scripts where I'm like, did you just copy and paste your novel? Like, there's Super way dense. too much. Yeah, there's way too many action lines. Like, yeah, be look. That's not the right word, but don't go overboard with your action lines. Right. Like, reproduce scripts. Yeah. A lot of times their yes. action lines are really just like, he walks to the door and that's right. it. You don't need to like make it flowery, make it, you know. Yeah. Right. You're not making it better. You're making it worse. Yeah. You're making it harder to read. Right. Like I, if I see a giant, like it's one thing if it's like active description, but I was just see like a giant block of text. It's like he was singing to himself a lot. I'm like, what? I'm not reading a book. Like I shouldn't know what he's thinking from an action line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever doesn't need to be in there shouldn't be in there. If uh, yeah. like you're, you're talking, he's walking to the door. If you're talking about what his shoes look like, or that the carpet is dirty, or whatever, unless it's actually relevant to it, like his shoes are gonna like in the Shawshank Redemption, like if he right. has shoes or doesn't, unless it's that, don't put it in because you assume that he has shoes and you assume he's walking. Whatever, it's not a big deal, right? So leave mm-hmm. that stuff out because you're just gonna make the reader bored and, and drown them with unnecessary details that don't really move your story forward, which is what, what it's all yeah, about. Yeah, if we're not going to see it on screen, it doesn't right. matter. Right. Yeah. Um, what about uh, formatting and stuff? Because I've heard a lot mm-hmm. of writers are concerned they're about formatting, it's not perfect, or someone say, I they should love the script regardless of the formatting, so my margins aren't perfect, so I use a different font or whatever. My writing is so great, it shouldn't matter, right? As a reader, does it matter? If it was like crazy off, like it looks like you wrote it in Microsoft Word or something, right? 
then yeah, it matters. But like, I, you're not going to go know, with a ruler on measuring margins. No, I'm not going to measure the margins. I'm not going to like, I don't, I've never once read a script and cared if the slug lines are bold or not. Like that's hmm. never even crossed my mind. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and they're probably like, but I've seen this too on Twitter. Like, don't worry about, don't worry about that kind of stuff until like you have a showrunner who like wants things done a certain right. way. Right. Otherwise, like as long as it looks relatively uniform, if you're writing in final draft, you're fine. Right. Your formatting is going to be fine. To don't like, to it shouldn't be the number one thing you're focused on. Right. It, yeah. Two spaces after a period or one? I'm a one personally, right. but I, again, that's probably not You're something I'm going to notice. I'm yeah. never going to notice. Right, um, but talking about showrunners, some showrunners are very serious about yes, that, and some true. some aren't. Some don't but care. Then, again, you don't need to worry about that until right. you have direct bosses. Like, no, this is how I want it. Right. Um, that's just how it is. Um, yeah, m- more than that, more important, you know, try to limit the number of typos. Right. Obviously, we're all human. We're not robots. One or two is going to get in there, but it shouldn't be. Run spell check on it. Or I always say, read the whole thing out loud because mm-hmm. your brain, your eyes will trick you. If you just read through it, like your eyes will trick you and make you think that like the right words are there. Cause there's so many times there are things that spell check can't catch. Right. If you're missing a word, if you use the wrong version of a word, spell check's sure. not going to catch that. So just read it out loud is what I always say. Cause your eyes will trick you and your mouth won't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And when you get a script as a reader, what, comes with it do they remove the title page is it just the title do they they mention who the author is or the writer do they take that off some competitions did not take the name off Hmm. uh i think three out of the four actually didn't take the name off but the most prestigious one did i don't think there were names in that Mm -hmm. i think it's a i bet i think I've never really looked at the name unless like there was a space where I had to write down the name. Oh, I, I try not to look. I'm like, I don't care. Right. It's the chances of being someone I know are next to none. So right. like, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. And uh, for the scripts, do what about page count? Do you ever go f- look at the page count? Oh, yeah. Starting? It's like the first thing I look at when I start is like how many pages am I have to read now? Right. Um, What's a sweet spot for you? For a feature, 100 or less. For an hour long, less than 60. 60 should be like the max. And of course, like, these are not, there's always exceptions to the rules, I should probably say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people do write a really great 75 page pilot. Right. But it's no rare. One wants to, no, it's rare, and no one really wants to read that anyway. Right. Um, and then for a half hour, I would say 35 is the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Maybe even less than that. Maybe more thirty. Yeah. And when you see a script that goes over those, what is your first first impression? I'm more just like annoyed because I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to read that many pages. Right. So it's right. not a good first impression. No, no, and I was the same. Yeah. Way. I think most readers are. I think. Yeah. You know, and it's not again. This... Like I was not. Yeah. I was not getting paid to do it. I was doing it on my own right. time, and then like. You want to make it easier for them. You want to win them over immediately. Right. And like, it's probably not fair. It's probably not great that the world works like that, but that's right. just, I, that's how it works. Right. You want to get someone good's graces before they even read a sentence. Right. And yeah. I was getting paid for it. And I still, I, you saw that. And, and I think it's because 
you know, I had read hundreds and hundreds working as a story analyst, and you knew that 97 out of 100 times you saw a feature script and it was 123 pages, 128 pages, you knew that they that there were parts of that that could be trimmed heavily mm-hmm. and gotten yep. it down to 108 pages or so or less and been a much better script. You knew that you were just, that they either didn't edit it properly or it was extreme. It wasn't Tarantino. Like Tarantino has some big, dense, long scripts and they're amazing, but very few of them are that. Usually they're just... Yeah. You know, that's so rare. They drone on. Their their first act way, is way too long, or whatever the issues are. Um, anyway, yeah, you're you're probably not Tarantino, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm ju- I'm just guessing, and then maybe wrong. I don't know. You you. Might, maybe. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. You could be. Right. Probably not. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Farzan asks question: Some more reputable contests put famous people on their judges list. In your experience as a reader, or from what you've heard, do those famous people? actually really read or do their assistants do it i don't know about that i've never run a script competition i've just been on the reader side of it but um i will say that judges are probably most likely though famous people judges are probably just going to be reading coverage like the top 10 50, oh that's whatever. true too they're right. not reading every single script that comes through right it's not happening right like austin gets what 20,000 entries or something ridiculous a year. Sure. And, yeah, Those famous judges are not reading 20,000 scripts. Right. They're reading whatever the readers said were the top 10. Right. Right. And so, even that, they're probably yeah. reading coverage for the top 10. Whatever strikes them as good, they'll probably actually read those ones. Whatever maybe. Is, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but... Yeah, depending on who they are. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Here's another question. You mentioned earlier that you'll be entering contests and fellowships yourself. Would you mind sharing which ones uh, you're, you'd, you would be submitting to? Um, I always do anything that's free. Because what's the harm? Sure, absolutely. Uh, like I know Screenplay Lab does a free contest all the time, like every couple of weeks or months or whatever. Um, obviously, there's the main fellowships, uh, ABC Disney. NBC Writers on the Verge, Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Um, and those didn't used to be free. No. I, really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever applied before they were free. Yeah. But yeah, they're free now. So I always am like, yeah, whatever. I'll, there's no harm in applying when it's free. Sure. Um, if you're going to pay for a competition, just be discerning. You know, look it up the winners, see what they've done since. Um. I think probably Austin Nickel are usually a safe bet because they're prestigious and everyone knows what they are. And so if you say, yeah, I want Austin, like someone's going to know what that means. Right. Whereas like, if you say, yeah, I won, I don't want to say real name. Uh, I won, you know, Heinz ketchup percents, whatever. Like they're going to be like, what is that? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they don't know what it is. Right. The lower Florida panhandle, screenplay and and video yeah, the, youtube the video competition film festival script competition right. like they're gonna be like what right okay i don't care like yeah and I I, pensacola doesn't actually have a film festival. yeah they matter uh no offense <laughs> to people in pensacola mm-hmm. uh, and i think also it depends on the uh, outlet but a lot of contests come from companies that that offer courses or offer uh, different services like pitch fests and things like that. Some of those, I think, contests actually are good and reputable, and many of them are, you know, fringe. 
they're not necessarily scams per se, but they're not necessarily as prestigious. I think yeah. it depends. So be careful with those as well. Some of them, you know, are totally fine and 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 respected, and then some not as much. But look at the judges. Yeah, look at the judges. Look at the winners, past winners. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're right. If they also sell screenwriting courses or software or something mm-hmm. on the side, right? Or maybe that's their main hustle, right? You know, they they might just be doing that competition as a way to sell you something, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, Ash asks, "Do you have a spec of an existing show and an original pilot, uh, and a feature as yeah. well?" Do you agree that an emerging writer's portfolio should be in a similar genre to get uh, listed as such with studios? You know, get on a list for whatever genre you write for. Um, yeah, it's probably always good to have multiple scripts. I do have, I have two specs, a Shit's Creek and a Bless's Mess. I have written four original pilots so far. Only one of them I would really say is like sample ready. Mm. Um, two are first draft still. Uh, one is almost there i'm still working on it um haven't gone around to doing the feature yet that's actually one of my goals for the, end of the year is to at least outline my first feature um yeah i just think i mean people will definitely pigeonhole you in the beginning um that's just the reality they want to be like oh yeah you're the writer who writes whatever mm-hmm. uh sci-fi or family drama or whatever like that's just how it is obviously you can pivot out of it later on like look at jordan peele like he started sketch comedy (laughs) now he's like the reigning king of horror Horror, yeah crazy right in the beginning yeah in the beginning it's probably good to find a niche and it doesn't mean you can only write one kind of story it just means like you should probably have you they're gonna want to look for a similar theme throughout and i know the fellowships do that too right they they like to see you pick a tv show that matches your original pilot in terms of themes and whatnot um yeah, I just think it's good to have multiple samples because you never know what someone's going to like, what someone won't. And then I also, again, if someone asks to read your work and they like it, the next thing they can ask is, hey, do you have anything else? And then right. if you don't, like you're, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, thoughts on the blacklist paid service and overall feeling from your peers? I mean, the readers are definitely legit. I'll say that. Like, I don't, I can't even qualify to be a reader because I have not worked at a agency or studio. Oh, I, did, I didn't know those were the qualifications. Yeah, you oh. have to have been a reader at an agency or studio or whatever for a year. Oh. So, like, I don't even qualify to be a reader at the blacklist because um, I never worked at an agency. Um, yeah. Do they pay? Um, I, I think they pay, don't they? I think they do pay. Yeah, I don't know what. They yeah, do, yeah, I don't know what, but I think they do pay. Um, I mean, if you're just going into it looking for good notes, then it's probably worth it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe if you score a perfect ten, it will open doors for you. Um, I just think the likelihood of you getting a ten probably is not going to be great. Um, you know, because I think if you get an eight or higher, then you like qualify for um, their weekly email or whatever it gets sent to rep. I think you get to host for free or whatever oh, that on too, site. Yeah. yeah. So, for, I mean, I just think that, you know, if you get free stuff when mm-hmm. you reach a certain level, then the people who are going to reach that certain level are probably going to be fewer. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say don't do it or do it. It's just. 
you should know that and keep that in mind. Right. I've done it. Um, I think I got like a seven. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how much it costs because I've never submitted to the blacklist. I know Franklin Leonard. And uh, what I will say is a lot of the reps we've spoken to, that's one of the legit sources that they will draw mm-hmm. from. Not just the annual blacklist, which is obviously, you know, from oh, within, yeah, I should mention, like, that's diff- that's within a the thing. industry sources will pick. The actual best. blacklist is a different thing. Right. Which then the, the that's page. chosen by like executives and right. studio execs. So you probably will not get on the actual blacklist unless you already are repped. Reps, yeah. really, yeah. Um, but the paid service, uh, like I said, we've heard good things from uh, reps that have mm-hmm. been on the show and, and that I know that they do read those. Okay, yeah. um, and, and now so that you mentioned that they're getting paid, it seems like they are have respected, you know, you have to have uh, an agency or studio background, which mm-hmm. is also a plus because you don't have to have that in every screenplay competition. You could be another no. film student, right? So you don't know what they're going to get. And I do have to say Franklin is generally pretty... Uh, pretty open about the service and very uh, conciliatory towards clients. Like if you're very unhappy uh, that you don't feel like you got a good read or whatever, that yeah. he often will give you a second read for free or something like that. So he definitely, uh, it, it, it's not yeah. a scam, I don't think. Now, whether no, or not it's value to you or not, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it will be a value to you, but it's yeah. not a scam. Like the notes I got were very good notes. Yeah. Like clearly the person knew what they were talking about. Yeah, and they read the script instead yeah, of 10 and pages and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, so that's good. So it's not a scam. I just, will it open a million doors for you? I don't know. Right, yeah. But again, that goes back to just keep throwing shit at the wall until something sticks. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're nearing the time, almost the 90 minutes. Um, okay. Ash says, thank you, Allison and Kevin for this. Really appreciate it. Uh, wishing you the best in your career. You seem amazing. Oh, there you go. Oh, thanks. Um, thank you. But I do want to say what sort of advice would you have for those emerging writers out there who are following in, in, or looking to follow in your footsteps? Um, what sort of advice would you have for them to, to sort of sum it all up? Keep meeting people. Meet as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. You never know. Be genuine when you meet people. Don't be using them for a connection. Like actually go out and try to make writing friends. Because again, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're going to want people in your corner who are your friends throughout your whole career. Um, keep writing. Again, do it on a timeline that works for you. Like I, you know, I've suffered through mental health issues so that makes it harder to write. Like, I like I'm still unlearning like not to beat myself up for not writing every day Mm. so I'm not gonna say like write every single day um but keep writing keep writing new stuff because odds are I mean maybe you're Mickey Fisher and the first script you ever write is gonna be perfect but odds are that's not gonna happen so keep writing new stuff um yeah just be a good person because that's so much of like what it comes down to is a showrunner is going to want someone they like to be around in right. a room. They're, you know, the assholes aren't worth it. Like they can be a great writer, but at the end of the day, like no one wants to be in a room with them for 12 hours. Yeah. We hear that a lot from showrunners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess lastly, what's one lesson you learned uh, coming up through the ranks so far to get to this point where you're at now that if you had learned sooner, it would have been very, very helpful. It doesn't it need to be a time. skill, it, but it yeah. Takes, it takes time. Oh, like, yeah. that's what I would say to my younger self is like, 
like I remember like being in college like they would always bring in like alumni or pe- or like people working in the industry or whatever for like little talks and they all would say you know network 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 it's all about who you know blah blah, blah. and I'd sit there and be like no way like that's not true it's all talent and like as long as you're good and you work hard like you're gonna you're gonna get a million jobs like that's not the reality Hollywood's not a meteorocracy it is all who you know mm-hmm. it sucks I hate it I hate how gatekeep it is but that's just the reality of the industry right now um so yeah like again network meet people um it's gonna take time like I remember oh my god I was so naive and delusional in high school like I remember being in high school and being like I don't want to go to college. I'm just going to start writing right away and get staff right away. And then even when I went to college, I was like, okay, but like in two years, I'm going to figure out a way to like, I think my favorite show at the time was like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was like, I'm going to go and find a way to get a writing job at Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was insane. I was delusional. Um, and then even when I graduated college, I remember, I remember even thinking like, oh, well, yeah, I have experience, blah, blah, blah. I went to film school. Like I'm going to get a writer's PA job right away. Not the reality. Um, takes time. It just does. You're if you are not in LA and you move out to LA, odds are your career is not gonna flourish at day one. Right. It's just. I mean, again, there's always exceptions to the rule, but yeah. most likely right. it's going to take time. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah. yeah. There's no. There's no age you need to have done anything by, and that's right. just true of life in general. Yeah. And it's a different path for everyone. Some people will make it sooner. Some will take a little bit longer, but you know, keep at it. Yeah. Just know it probably has nothing to do with your talent. Right. It's just people get lucky. Like I got lucky. People get lucky or people know the right people or whatever. Like it's just how it is. But when you get that opportunity, when that luck does hit, you have to be ready for it. You have to have those scripts written. You have to be prepared for Like if you hadn't taken that writer's assistant course yes. when you were offered that job it'd be like oh well i really like you but we don't have that well, do you want to be an, an office pa right exactly like i do think so. having taken that course is what helped me in the interview because mm-hmm. when he asked like oh have you ever taken notes before i could be like yes right i have taken notes i have practiced doing that yeah and maybe i wouldn't have gotten the job if i hadn't done that you Absolutely. know Absolutely. yeah 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 so be prepared keep working at it and be ready for the yeah. opportunity yours may take a little bit longer than other people but if you're not preparing now then you may not be ready for it when it does come so you don't want to miss it when it comes like take that course two weeks after you got that interview and again your path may be different than right now yeah that's true you never know no one knows anything in this industry right (laughs) yeah that's yeah the one thing that everyone should know is that nobody knows anything do i think the number one comedy show in the world right now would be you know a show about a american coaching english soccer no i never would have guessed that yeah you no one knows anything that came it was based off commercials it was right. based off a commercial who I rem- possibly could have thought i'm a soccer fan so i saw those yeah. commercials like six or seven years ago and i remember them but i never thought in my wildest dreams that they oh this would make a great tv show at no point did yeah. i ever say that and i love the show and i love soccer i love ted lasso i yeah. just watched the episode last night and i was like crying it's yeah. great but I never would have predicted that never. that would have been the hit that it was. No. So you don't, no one has anything. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Allison, and spending part of your Saturday. 
I do Thank you so much it. for having me and asking me to do this. No, it's been great. Yeah. It's been great. Uh, and if you can stick around just for a minute after we wrap up, yeah. um, be sure to follow Allison on Twitter. It's at Brook 4 the number four ever. Um, yeah. Next next week's guest had to reschedule, so I'm not sure who it's going to be just yet. So there's a good reason to follow us on social media. You can keep up to date with all of our upcoming episodes. Uh, you can get all of our social media links on our website, stripsandscribes.com. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us today. Hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I hope it's productive and uh, good. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.